So good, isn't it, to be able to be here today, to appreciate the blessing that's ours, to lift our voices together, even as we have in song already, such beautiful songs as a wonderful Savior, and songs such as praise Him, praise Him, that we just lifted our voices together and sang. It is good to see everyone here today, not only our membership at Pippin, but other guests who've come our way. We're just delighted to have you. We want you to know you're always welcome at the services of the Pippin Church of Christ. I know that in the continuation of this rather unusual set of circumstances, uh, certainly we aren't meeting on Wednesday evenings at this point, nor on Sunday afternoons at this point, but we continue our meeting on Sunday morning, continuing the particular service as outlined in the New Testament, and how thankful we are that God has allowed us the opportunity to do that today. God's tomorrows are always brighter than humanity's today's. Don't we read in Psalm 118, verse 24, This is the day which the Lord hath made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. The rejoicing that fills our heart today in many ways prompted my thoughts concerning the lesson, the title of which is on the wall behind me. You and I serve a God who is the God of all comfort. And Brother Joy just read a moment ago from 2 Corinthians 1. It is verse number 3 to which I'll direct your attention because I want to emphasize a three-letter word near the end of that verse. It said, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Isn't it rather remarkable that as the inspired writer, Paul in this case, set forth the fact that God was not just a God of a comfort or the God of somewhat measures concerning comfort, but yet He said the God of all comfort. I would suggest that our brothers and sisters in Christ of 20 centuries ago, or whether you and I today, we frequently find ourselves in need of some degree of comfort. I wonder to where we might go to find it. To where might we go to find the ultimate source of it? This lesson will be a development along that line, and this introductory slide will simply lay a foundation for what we'll devote ourselves to over the next few minutes. Happy is the people whose God is the Lord, Psalm 144, verse 15. And as we begin the consideration of that, you'll notice almost instantly, and none of us need the reminder, the circumstances of your life or mine can frequently find, be such that we find ourselves in need of something that we ourselves seemingly cannot provide. We're going to look at a brief listing this morning. Where might we go to find these things? And some of them are enormously significant. They, in fact, will prompt happiness. They'll prompt joy. They will prompt, in fact, a feeling of well-being. And our world so desperately needs this. Why don't we study for a few moments about the God of all comfort? This next slide will begin a listing as it makes a development based on the text. We just notice verse 3. While we're in that particular location in your Bible, could I at least ask you to notice a few other quick observations to gain a better feeling for the circumstances that may have been resting in Paul's heart? Jump down to verse 8. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia. Here was an inspired apostle who was beset by troubles that we were pressed out of measure. You and I may wonder, what is it particularly that Paul faced? Well, the next phrase is going to be rather illuminating. 
out of measure, above strength. Paul said this was beyond my ability to handle it. Insomuch that we despaired even of life. Paul had reached a point, the difficulties that he was facing here in Asia, the circumstances with regard to the uproar in Ephesus, the tumult that followed him many of the ways. He said, we were at many times despairing even of life. In the next chapter, chapter 2, verse 13, Paul wrote, I had no rest in my spirit. Now here was a matter not just merely physical in character, but he, he was mentally agitated. He was so bothered by the fact that he had written a letter to the church in Corinth, and it was a hard letter. He wondered how they'd receive it. Would they receive it improperly and drive themselves away from the truth? Would they become defensive? Or would they, in love, understand what Paul had by inspiration written, repent of what needed to be repented of, and come back to God? Paul said, I had no rest. Have you ever had a restless night? Maybe a restless few months? We probably all have to some degree had periods of great bothersome where those that we love and those that are near to us, maybe it's other circumstances related to work or otherwise. And what happens is out of our control. But yet it doesn't satisfy and it hurts. Paul could identify with us. With that said, let's close that slide like this. In the midst of circumstances like this, Paul said, there's a God of all comfort. Well, what's this God? What is the God of heaven able to provide? A listing. I tried to make a list of some of those things that might be troubling your life or mine. Things that might in fact be weighing upon your heart or mine. And in the midst of a world that is facing what we are, maybe we all need a greater appreciation of an anchor. What about fear? There are some people gripped by fear to the point where they're almost in panic. And it doesn't have to relate to this present circumstance, but there are just other things in life that quite often can lead to a very great amount of fear. Look with me at a few verses that might challenge you and me as those that are Christians, those who love the Lord, and those who are committed to His cause. We encounter passages like Psalm 34, 4, where the psalmist of old, David, was able to say this, I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. What do you think about that? Now, David knew fear as well. Saul was out to kill him, and there were others who more than once desired his life. And he was here able to say, God delivered me from out of all these fears. In Psalm 56, 11, again, David, by exclamation, said, In God have I put my trust... I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. Now, one more time, the considerations of what David here asserted had been lifted above the mundane matters of what men could do. And didn't Jesus put the icing on this cake in Matthew 10, 28? When there He said, Fear not men which can kill the body, but have no more that they can do. But I'll tell you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. There's where the primary thrust of our understanding with regard to fear ought to be, and not matters of men. Beyond fear, or beside that, 
about worry? Worry? Now, worry is, again, an issue that can be very debilitating. It can be very much that which can cause us to be far less than what we otherwise could be. The word worry literally means to divide the mind. I've got my mind directed, at least in part, to what ought not serve as its focus because my priority should be taking me elsewhere. I've divided my mind, and I'm worried about something over which I have no control. Sometimes, perhaps oftentimes, that can be a very hurtful thing to you and me. Look at some of these verses and let the Word of God challenge us even as we give thought to matters like worry. Why don't we begin in Matthew 6.25? Now that really runs through the rest of that chapter, but didn't Jesus speak very directly about this point? I'll only mention two things in passing. He said, "'Have you ever thought about the flowers?' God takes care of them. And haven't you ever given thought to the birds of the air? They don't sow, they don't spin, and God provides for them. Aren't you better than a bird? Aren't you more valuable than a flower? We all understand that as made in the image of God, we know that we are, and yet... maybe it's these times we should realize that our worry is so frequently misplaced. Paul put it in these words in Philippians 4, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds to the Lord Jesus Christ. What a lovely thought. So whether it be worry or misplaced fear, these things ought not encumber us. What about number three? Despair. What do we mean by despair? Well, I've tried to make a very quick definition. That sensation in which you feel there's very little hope, maybe even no hope. Maybe we've each been in circumstances or known someone in circumstances wherein they were engulfed in a feeling of despair. Look at what the Word of God would say to you and to me. The ancient people of Judah found themselves marching invariably toward Babylonian captivity. And God had already told them, this is happening because you won't repent and you will not change. But he, didn't He not say to them in that verse, I've got plans for you and I know your future. And later on in Romans 15, 13, we also read about the fact that you and I serve the God of hope who is able to fill you with joy. Does that sound like despair? Does it sound like a feeling of hopelessness? Well, of course it doesn't. Because later in that same verse, Paul was able to write to the Romans, you will abound in hope. It's not that you'll have a minor measure of it. You will have an overwhelming matter in it. May you and I remember that even in our lives and even in matters like today. After despair, what about anger? Does your temper get the best of you? Are there times that we allow ourselves to move in a direction to permit action on the part of motivation by anger? Let me be quick to say, not all anger is wrong. In fact, there are times that it would be entirely right to become angry. When you sense injustice... 
when you sense unfairness or sin, if you please, there isn't anything wrong with becoming angry. But the issue is, just as Paul wrote, be angry and sin not, Ephesians 4.26. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, same verse. Maybe it's in that connection, in that light. We can see that all four of these matters so far, there are things in the Bible that can help us overcome them and put our life in the correct order. The last one on that slide is weariness. Let me be quick to say, after a hard day's work, probably all of us feel tired. That's not what we mean here. By this, we're referring to a sense when I'm just tired of pushing on. I'm dragging this anchor uphill in difficult circumstances. I seemingly, in the midst of a world motivated by evil, making poor choices. What's the sense of going on? Is it really worth it? Well, I entitle it again, weariness and tired. Sometimes, if we allow ourselves to think that way, we will move in a direction of giving up. In the midst of that kind of thinking, may we never forget verses such as these. I'll start with Galatians 6 verse 9. Let us not be weary in well-doing. When the Lord God of heaven has affirmed and set before us that which is right and good and noble, may we never be weary in fulfilling it in our approach toward it. Because look at the next two verses, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Jesus speaking said, Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. He was talking about folks who you see were bearing a heavy burden, and they were in a position of great difficulty. Come to me, and what will I do? I'll make your burden easy and light. That's what the Lord can do if we'll let Him. The verse I've saved to last on that one is drawn from the pages of the Old Testament. It truly is one of the most beautiful, one of the most powerful passages in all the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 40, 31, closing verse to that chapter, the inspired writer pointed out, They that trust in the Lord shall renew their strength. Did you hear that? Their strength may have become lesser due to weariness, they will renew their strength. But not only that, they will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. Now that directly characterizes this. God's ancient people, they had become weary in many ways. And they were then promised from the God of heaven things could be different and better. What about the next one? Number six, are you sad? Do you not know someone that may have fallen into a consideration of sadness or depression? Look at some of these verses briefly with me. To have an overwhelming unhappiness, a sense of being lost, if you please. Look at these verses with me. I mentioned it at the beginning of the lesson, but it wouldn't be inappropriate to note it again. Happy is the people whose God is the Lord. If you and I serve the God of heaven, Psalm 144 verse 15, we have reason then to appreciate that we serve one who is in control of the circumstances and in whose hand we have placed our confidence. We have every right then to feel a note that it, is, it may be beyond our strength, but it's not beyond His. Look at verse 
One last verse among that group. John 15, 11, Jesus pointed out to His very apostles, and consider, if you would, the circumstances they then were facing and would face in the weeks that lay ahead of them when He said that. The Lord was about to die the next day, crucified on a cross, and He was going to ascend back to heaven in just a very few weeks and leave the work of the church primarily as foundational to them. And they were to emblazon around the world the message of Jesus Christ. No wonder that was a daunting task, but Jesus told them there, My joy, I'm going to leave with you. In the midst of whatever circumstances you face, don't be sad or at least overwhelmingly depressed. Look at the next one, lonely. Maybe you and I again can appreciate those who feel I'm by myself. I don't have anybody. We know how easy it is to consider verses such as these. I would ask you to remember, even in Deuteronomy 31, but echoed so powerfully in Hebrews 13. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Would you please ponder that passage with me? Although people may leave you, and they may disappoint you, and they may make choices that hurt you, I, He said, will never leave you nor forsake you. His abiding presence, the power of His provision, and the note of what He has before us, it's a wonderful thing. One by one, we have so far looked at a number of particular adjectives that can describe the human condition. Number eight on this particular page, hurting. Don't we know much about that one? We have all known moments of hurt. When someone stabs you proverbially in the back, someone you thought would never leave your side, and they betray you, it hurts. It hurts deeply. May I say that there are other senses, though, in which one can feel hurt. But in each and every one of them, Jeremiah 6.14 perhaps points us in this direction. God said, I am able to heal the hurt of my people. Now, that's what the prophet told them. In the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians 1.3, the passage we've been considering today, Paul said he's the God of all comfort. Every degree and every measure he, he affords. Maybe it is in that connection. Let's go to the next slide. Do you feel discouraged? Are there times when it feels as though the burden has become more than is worth trying to bear? One of the favorite verses, surely in the Old Testament, in light of this matter, must be this one. Psalm 55, 22, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and He shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Now that's a promise that has buoyed the life of many a Christian for untold centuries. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, He will sustain you. Isn't it true? Peter echoed by and large that sentiment in 1 Peter 5 verse 7, Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. God doesn't want you to ultimately leave this life in such a condition that you have to be separated from Him forever. He will provide you the necessary means of motivating through this life, but making sure that the preparation is there for eternity. 
maybe it is in that connection, I would mention number 10, sickness. We know much about that one too. All of us are going to have sickness in one way or another. It may well be ourselves, someone we love or near to us. But sickness clearly can be a very overwhelming thing. Notice a few matters. The Bible mentions medicines and doctors, Jeremiah 8.22 in the Old Testament. And didn't Jesus remind us in Mark 5 verse 25 about the woman that had the issue of blood? She had been to many physicians. She was seeking help through the means available. There are times when the means available do not work. It didn't work for the woman with the issue of blood. You may remember, she finally, of course, sought help from Jesus, and He healed her. But note what's next. May we never forget that beyond the capability and power of medicine and things like that, we know that God is able to control things. And the final point of that slide is this one. Aren't we in a position to be able to look forward to a place where there is no sickness? None. Revelation 21.4, as well as much of the rest of that chapter, it highlights a place where there is going to be no illnesses that you and I know here. May I say that God can then even provide comfort in times of sickness. What about moments of defeat? There are times when the forces of evil will have momentary victory. There are times when, again, those forces that are motivated by the things of the devil will appear to have the upper hand. What about times like that? Don't fear. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, We are always led in triumph in Christ and make us manifest the savor of His knowledge by us in every place. Chapter 3, verse 5 of the same book, Our sufficiency is not of ourselves, but it's of God. And that victory that is ours is the very one that overcomes the world. 1 John 5, verse 4. Maybe in those lights, the considerations of them ask all of us to consider whatever the particular issue that we need. There is a central thesis which I have wanted you to consider in this lesson. And that thesis, if we haven't observed it yet, is this. No matter what the need of our life may be, no matter what the particular emotion we may be feeling, no matter what the particular issue that may appear so dramatic, the Word of God and the God of heaven has the address to it. He has the information that will permit us to address it properly and in many cases to improve our well-being as a result of it. But I say these last three like this. Moments of temptation. Moments when your conscience bothers you because there's something that I am being tempted to do which I know I shouldn't. I know that I don't need to be doing this because the Word of God tells me I don't. It's not opinion. It is not speculation. Even in those cases, realize the Bible can offer all of us that which I need in order to overwhelm that temptation. There is no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but also with the temptation will provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There is nothing you and I will ever face 
such that there is not an avenue of escape from that temptation and the means in the Word of God by which we can not only overwhelm the temptation, but live in harmony with God by overcoming it. That's just what the Word of God teaches us, and aren't we thankful for it? Maybe two more. Betrayal. I included that one as number 13. Jesus knew about that. He had handpicked a man named Judas, Iscariot, to be one of the apostles. And for three years or so, this Judas had witnessed the Lord's miracles. He'd listened to His teaching. And yet the time came for 30 pieces of silver He sold Him. He had betrayed the Master. But yet as Jesus responded to Him, recorded in the book of John, we notice with such an attribute of mercy and love, it could well be you and I may be betrayed by somebody. May we always remember to put our confidence, Psalm 118 verse 8, in the Lord, and not ultimately in men. Finally, sin. The last one. Sin. Oh, sin is a battle, and we're all going to face this one. For Romans 3.23 still says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Thus, there isn't one of us exempt from this one. It may be that some of the others in that list I haven't directly had to face, or maybe you haven't had to face. But when it comes to sin, there's no question. The terrible thing about sin is it separates me from God. It's as though there's a grand canyon between where I am and where He is. And sin's what caused the canyon. He wants us to be in fellowship with Him. Habakkuk 1.13, as well as Psalm 5, verses 3 and following, detail the beauty of that fellowship and the marvelous blessing that comes with it. But when I choose to sin, I go where He is not, because He's not where sin is. Isaiah put it like this, The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God and have hid his face from you that he will not hear. You know, that person who chooses to live in a way of sin, God won't hear your prayers. He's promised he won't hear it. Now, he's aware of the fact you're praying, but he doesn't lend his ear to the thought of what's contained in the wording and the sentences relative to that prayer. John 9.31 says, We know the Lord heareth not sinners. May I say, may we never forget as Christians what an avenue we have in terms of prayer. He's promised to hear the cries and the prayers of His faithful children. No wonder in that light, let's close that slide like this. So when we're in sin, our thesis today has been God has the means of addressing it. He offers forgiveness. Whatever I've done, whatever I've thought, whatever I've said that was not in keeping with His will, He is more than anxious to absolutely forgive it and remember it no more. But I've got to want it too. I've got to rush to His side and do what He has commanded me to do to obtain that forgiveness. And if I'll do that, it will be as if I had never committed those things. He'll forgive them. But He will let me wallow in that sin if I want to. He will let me continue in it if that's my choice. 
verses like this, I hope prompt all of us. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us for not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter 3, 9. And in 1 Timothy 2, verse 4, the God that we love and the God that we strive to serve, it is that same God who there would have all men to come to a knowledge of the truth. Maybe you and I could be motivated to always live wisely, striving to live in a forgiven state. And so it is, as we close that slide, we have the avenue of forgiveness available through the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's close our lesson then like this. Yahweh, Jehovah, is the God of all comfort. And regardless what particular issue you and I may be facing in life, the answer is available from Him in His Word. And I hope today that as we're motivated along that line, we'll understand and be blessed by the wonderful character of where we do stand and can stand with Him. Speaking of sin, it could be that there's someone in this gathering today and after reflection of, say, the recent days in life, you've come to realize that all isn't well with your soul, that you are currently treading a pathway that isn't faithful in the eyes of God. We want you to know that He loves you and that it would be our lovely desire to encourage you today in whatever way we can. If you've never become a Christian, won't you believe in Jesus with all of your heart? Won't you repent of your sins? Won't you confess His great name as the Son of God and then be submissively immersed in water, we call it baptism, for the forgiveness of your sins? If you'll do that, you'll rise from that watery grave with all those sins gone, whatever they've been. And you at that point can leave this building today completely clean and white, spiritually speaking. If, however, you have become a Christian at some time, but... Perhaps you've begun to make choices in life which aren't wise. You've begun to make choices that are rather disgraceful in the eyes of the Word of God. Well, you know you can make changes. We call that repentance. If you'll confess and repent of those things, Jesus has promised to forgive you. And you can be reinstated to a position of faithfulness. And you too can be pure and clean and white. Today, if we could be of help in any way in these matters... We would love to do that and do it at once while together we stand and sing the selected song.